3: Is the Weekend Crunch? I am your host, Big Daddy himself, Mr. Errol Marks, and my co-host, Mr. Speedy P, Remember, you can listen to our show every Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York, Eastern Time. Only on 103.9. The LI News Radio Network brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine of the World. Wide Sports Radio Network. Speedy Peedy, what is up, my friend? Get a haircut yesterday, a fresh new
4: haircut. Yes. Thanks to uh, Errol's new barber. Carmelo. Carmelo, shout out home to Run Barber Shop, baby. Yeah, definitely was a Port home run. Poor Jefferson. Definitely a good look for the new year, for <laughs> sure. <laughs> Absolutely.
3: Anyways, we We've got a great show lined up for you guys a little bit later. We will be talking to former Chargers, Cardinals, Panthers, and Ravens cornerback Antoine Casey. He was a first-round draft pick in 2008. We're going to get into his career and his thoughts on the playoffs in the NFL right now, and some of the great cornerbacks like Sauce Garner. Congratulations, is an All-Pro. Player. I don't remember the last Jet as a rookie that was an All-Pro player. The Giants to face the Vikings on wildcard weekend. The NFL playoff bracket set this weekend. The New York Jets, as they are sitting home playing golf and eating their lollipops the Jets fire Mike LaFleur their offensive coordinator Woody Johnson says the Jets will spend money this offseason for a quarterback opening up their pockets Mr. Woody Wood, three for all picks of the week, Carlos Correa ditches the Mets to re-sign with the Minnesota Twins for a six year, $200 million contract, up to 10 years 270, needs 600 at-bats his final year to get all that money. The Yankees He's less likely to pursue Brian Reynolds now, maybe because of money. Maybe they don't want to trade away any of their youngsters. Kevin Durant will miss at least a month with another MCL sprain. R.J. Barrett OB Toppin return to the Knicks as they knock off the Wizards Friday night. Could the Islanders be interested in Timo Meyer at the trade deadline and Moneyline Mania with Chaz? And now, as he comes back from that COVID-19 sickness... Wes. And his post-Ohio State depression stage. I know he's an Ohio State fan,
4: but they had a good season. To lose on a game winning field when they had a chance to knock off the defending champion Georgia
3: Bulldogs they should have won that game, by the way. Who, by the way, also go back to back with a 65 to 7 whomping of TCU. <laughs> I did predict that if there was any crazy comeback win, it would be Ohio State. It just they couldn't kick that field goal. But, anyways, the New York Giants this weekend have a chance to knock off the Minnesota Vikings. And the game that they played early this season with the Minnesota Vikings was in Minnesota. It was loud. The Giants competed, and the Giants don't have as many weapons as the Minnesota. I think the Vikings, one of the more tremendous offensive teams in the NFL with Dalvin Cook and Adam Thielen and Hawkinson. And then, of course, Justin Jefferson, I think the high-flying number one wide receiver in all of the NFL. Going into this game, we all know Kirk Cousins is not a primetime player. He's a guy that doesn't play well on national TV with Washington and the Vikings. The Giants, we have seen in 2007, 2011, and the 90s, the early 90s, get in the playoffs and make runs. Now, I don't think that this year is going to be one of those years because they don't have enough offensive weapons to do it. But a lot of people doubted the New York Giants this year. A lot of people doubted Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones has had a fantastic year. He's one of only three quarterbacks to have over 3,000 yards throwing and 600 yards running with no wide receivers and really no offense. Offensive line is not that good. They have Andrew Thomas and everybody else was garbage this year. The fact that Daniel Jones did the things that he did this year is miraculous. And Dable, I think, is going to be up for coach of the year. Is he going to win it? Probably not. But the season that the Giants pulled off was fantastic. They only beat one over 500 team this year, the Baltimore Ravens. And that stands a lot when you're going into the playoffs and you have to play teams that were elite in their divisions, their conferences, and the league. Now, this is probably the best matchup the Giants could ask for out of all the teams they could have played in the wildcard game. Minnesota, one of the more luckier teams this year. They won games by no more than three to five points. They're a team that plays in front of the crowd very well. And they have a knack of winning close games. If the Giants could get an early lead, if they can run the ball very well, control the clock, and play good defense, if Wink could get this team to blitz, put pressure on Kirk Cousins, throw him off his spots, and try to keep Justin Jefferson out of the end zone, the Giants have a chance. Vikings are going to be, without their right tackle, Brian O'Neill, And then Garrett Bradbury,
4: their Pro Bowl caliber center, is going to play, but he's going to be playing through injuries. So if the Giants can take advantage of just getting raw pressure that way too, they can even help out by dropping back some safeties, dropping back some linebackers where they don't have to blitz his often. See if they're able to get pressure, maybe back off on blitzing too because they're going to need some guys either to double-team bracket Jefferson or there's always the game plan of let Jefferson get his and stop everybody else. The Giants did that on Cook in the first meeting but they
3: didn't do that against Hawkinson (laughs) Minnesota's had problems stopping running quarterbacks and we've seen this before when they played Jalen Hurts this year they couldn't stop Jalen Hurts Daniel Jones is one of three quarterbacks that ran the ball over 600 yards this year the other two quarterbacks Josh Allen and Jalen Hurts. The Giants have to look at their strengths in this game. They need to blitz. They need to put pressure on Kirk Cousins because we have seen Kirk Cousins for a long time make mistakes when you could put pressure up the gut. Jam the middle. Jam him where he is forcing the ball into places that he is not comfortable throwing it. And the Giants need to run the ball. They have to feed the beast. Saquon Barkley needs to dominate the line of scrimmage throughout the game. If he is getting yard after yard and controlling the clock, the Giants could win this game. And their youngsters, Thibodeau and Leonard Williams, needs to put pressure in places in a playoff game that we haven't seen Leonard Williams do, even with the Jets. And even with Bradbury being healthy, their
4: right guard is a rookie in Ed Ingram, who hasn't played well for the Vikings. So if Dexter Lawrence is taking the attention with Bradbury, Leonard Williams could feast on that side of
3: the I line. love Dexter Lawrence. I yeah. think Dexter Lawrence, to
4: me, is their best defensive player. He's been that. That way all year and he's been consistent too. I
3: I love the way he plays. I love that he he's the leader up front. He's one of the more underrated defensive linemen in all of the NFL. People don't realize that the Giants run their defense through him. He has to have a big game if the Giants have a chance. You have two rookie coaches in this game. You have Dable and Kevin O'Connell, who is a disciple of Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay, he comes from that tree. Now, O'Connell, if you remember, he was drafted by the New England Patriots. He was a Bill Belichick draft pick. Wasn't a good quarterback in the NFL. Most of these quarterbacks that become coaches in the NFL, usually the ones that are not superstars, are the ones that become pretty good coaches in the NFL. And Kevin O'Connell is definitely going to be up for coach of the year. He's had a great season. Minnesota found their way offensively. Kirk Cousins had one of his best seasons since Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay. But this game is going to lie in the trenches. What team wants it more? What coach is going to make the right calls in the important parts of the game. What strength of the special teams on both sides of the ball is going to win this game? Because I think a lot of it is going to depend on punt return, controlling the field, all those things are going to mean a lot in this game in Minnesota. In that case, Richie James, please do not fumble, for the love of God. The other matchup that's
4: interesting, though, is this came out yesterday. It was Evan Neal suffered another knee injury. He's going to be playing through it. Can Daniel Jones be able to effectively run to that side, roll out to that side? I if think the, the Giants made or... an
3: absolute mistake when they drafted Evan Neal. I like what he did in Alabama. Everybody thought he was going to be a pretty good prospect coming into the NFL. He's had knee problems. Everybody said they should have drafted Charles Cross. If they drafted Charles Cross, you see what he is doing right now at Seattle this year. He has been the best offensive lineman in that draft class, and he has been borderline all-pro player. He has been that good this year. Pass blocking, I think it's amongst the league's top seven. Evan Neal, he's had knee problems when he came into the league, played in the SEC. He's a good player, but when you're going into the league, when you're a heavy guy, you put a lot of pressure on your knees in such a short part of your career, and then go into the NFL where the speed is different, the game is different, and the players are better. It's a different ball game. The Giants are going to have problems with Evan Neal moving forward. I don't think his knees are healthy. If I were the Giants, I would move him into guard and draft another offensive lineman. I don't know if his knees are going to hold up on that right tackle position. A lot of Giant fans thought he should play left tackle, but not going to happen. Because- no, because Thomas played well at left tackle and not. At right tackle, Andrew Thomas is awesome. Andrew Thomas is one of the best tackles in the NFL, one of the more underrated. He's the only one on the Giants. On that offensive line, I would keep. That offensive line is horrible. That right deals. side was really bad Yeah, there was a lot of
4: veterans on one-year deals. They really didn't have a true center. Nick Gates came back at the end of the season, which was a good story considering the really gruesome knee injury. They got a lot of money, year. but they're going
3: to have to spend it on wide receivers, playmakers.
4: Interior offensive line is not going to cost much, but still, yeah, they need a lot. Because John Feliciano is a better guard than he is a center, but he's had to play center this year, which isn't as good. And then the Giants offensive line is definitely a problem. And if the Vikings attack the right side of that line especially, we'll do. Daniel Jones be able to run to that side because he's a little more comfortable doing that than the left side. The Vikings have blitzed a little more than usual with their new defensive coordinator, too, and they still have some good edge rushers. Daniil Hunter and Zadarius Smith, both are
3: tough. The NFL playoff bracket is very interesting. With the Seattle Seahawks and the San Francisco 49ers game, it could be an absolute destruction by San Francisco. I think Seattle will be in this game all the way in the fourth quarter. I also think Geno Smith could really play a big part of this game if they have any chance of beating San Francisco. Could this be an upset? Absolutely. And the 49ers, as good as they are on paper and and probably one of the more talented teams going into the playoffs, I still think they're beatable. I don't believe in Purdy as much as everybody else does. This is a rookie quarterback. Purdy was not supposed to play this year. If Jimmy Garoppolo was still healthy, he'd be in as the quarterback. I know he's played well. I know he's been accurate. I know he fits the scheme of what Kyle Shanahan does. He was never expected to have the season that he's had since he's come into the league. But I would trust Geno Smith more than Purdy in this game. Geno Smith, who's been in the league for a long time, he has the experience. I think it makes a lot of sense why Geno Smith, if he takes over this game and gets Metcalf involved in the game, especially early in the game, and they can run the ball. Walker is a very dominant force. San Francisco's good at stopping the run, but Walker is a basher. He's got a lot of speed on the outside. They're going to have to use him, open up holes for him, and this offensive line, which has been one of the better offensive lines in football, have to stand out in this game if they have any chance against this powerhouse defense. I'm
4: curious if they try to use him maybe as a screen game, as a receiver potentially, too, to counter the Niners' top run defense because you're right. They haven't allowed a 100-yard rusher ironically since Christian McCaffrey when he was still with the Panthers back in Week 5. 80 yards allowed per game on the ground. Geno Smith running is going to be another X-Factor too to watch because the Niners have had their trouble against running quarterbacks. Same thing we're going to say with the Jets with the Robert Sala defense.
3: Chargers in Jacksonville. This is going to be probably one of the fun games to watch. The battle of two young quarterbacks, Justin Herbert, Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence, who's had a breakout season. Maybe because of Doug Peterson. Maybe he actually has a competent coach that can help him understand the game of NFL football. But Justin Herbert, I think, is the standout in his game. This is his first playoff game. This is his opportunity to really stand out in front of all the people in the world. And everybody compared Justin Herbert and Joe Burrow. Two quarterbacks that were drafted in the same draft class will always be compared with one another moving forward. I think Justin Herbert is the better quarterback. Losing Mike Williams because of just terrible coaching in the final game does affect The Chargers, but I think the Chargers have the better talent. I think they have the more aggressive talent. They have the better running back. Their all-around team is better, even with the injuries that they have. Joey Bosa coming back with, obviously, the beast man himself, the king of blitz, Khalil Mack, the Chicago Bear. He has a chance to make a statement. The last time he was in the playoffs was with the Chicago Bears. I'd like to see him have a big game. The last time we saw Khalil Mack in the playoffs, they lost in the first round. When the Chicago Bears could have made a run that year, I think this game is going to rest on one man and one man only. It is going to rest on Justin Herbert and Trevor Lawrence. And whoever plays better, whoever stands out the best, will win this game. The Chargers offensive line is the one question mark I have, though,
4: because the Jags' front seven has been very good, especially in this winning streak. Devin Lloyd, Chad Muma have been two very good rookie linebackers, and Trayvon Walker, we all bashed him for drafting number one overall, and probably still do, but he's come along late in the season. If Jacksonville could stop the run and get consistent pressure on Herbert, who doesn't have that same level of mobility, it's going to be tough.
3: Buffalo and Miami right now with the DeMar Hamlin situation. A lot of people say Hamlin won't be there. I think it would be really, really smart to get Hamlin over there to go up the owner's box and and let the fans see him, that he's walking on his two feet. That would be great for the Buffalo Bills. I think they're going to play for him. It's a miraculous story. Nine days after he could have died, he walks out of two different hospitals in Cincinnati and in Buffalo and now home. Uh, it's a miraculous story. And two are not playing. They scored nine points against the Jets. What do you think the Bills are going to do in Buffalo? This is not even going to be a game. I think the Buffalo Bills are going to pulverize the Miami Dolphins. Yeah, they're basically going
4: to need some like wildcat masterpiece for the Dolphins to have any shot
3: in this game. They don't stand a chance. I don't think so. Either. Baltimore and Cincinnati. The only reason why this is not going to be a fun game to watch is because Lamar Jackson's not playing. I give Lamar Jackson a lot of credit. This is a man that's fighting for a contract. This is a man that deserves a contract. This is a man who's been a top-five quarterback in the NFL since he's come into the league. He's won an MVP. He hasn't been a great playoff player. Who cares? Lamar Jackson's still one of the elite quarterbacks in the NFL, and the Baltimore Ravens don't want to pay him. So why is he going to stick his neck out there when he has no contract, when I think he could play? As a matter of fact, I think Lamar Jackson is more than healthy enough to go out there and play against the Bagels. He's not doing it because he's protecting himself. Him as an asset is so very important to get that money in the offseason. Do I envy Lamar Jackson for doing this? Absolutely. Does it make him a team player? Why should he be thinking for the team if the team wasn't thinking for him when he asked for a contract extension? I think he's doing the right thing. So what does that tell me in this game? I think Joe Burrow and that offense going to kick the living you-know-what out of the Baltimore Ravens. And how many points are the Ravens going to put up with a backup backup's backup quarterback. They might as well just have Justin Tucker kick every time and hope for the best. Maybe they'll I, just make a
4: bunch of 60 Honestly, field goals. that would be
3: the <laughs> smartest thing. Their defense play and hopefully Tucker can kick a couple of field goals, like seven or eight of them. I don't think they stand a chance. Because they can't really run the ball well either between two banged up running backs and the Bengals having a great run defense. And then Tampa and Dallas. This is probably going to be the most interesting game. Tom Brady, a.k.a. Old Man Braid, versus Dak making mistake Prescott. This is such a very important game for the Cowboys. More More important than the Tampa Bay Buccaneers because if Dallas loses this game, they're going to be looking for a new quarterback in the offseason. No matter what Dak is making and what Dak did this year, they can't win with them. So what do you think they're going to do in the offseason for Derek Carr, Aaron Rodgers, Jimmy Garoppolo, Jared Goff? What would you think about Dallas going after one of those quarterbacks? We already know the Jets are going to go after one of them. This is so very important. And Dallas is the better team. They're the more talented team. They have the better pass rush. They have the better overall team. Even though the numbers don't show in the last couple of weeks that Dallas's pass rush has been any good, they have the most dominant defensive player in this game, and Micah Parsons. While well, their pass rush hasn't been great, neither is the Buccaneers' offensive line. So
4: they should be able to win that matchup, too. Now, what's more concerning is their secondary depth outside of Trayvon Diggs, who's very hit or miss as it is. Now, the Buccaneers have the receiving depth on paper with Evans, Godwin, Julio, all those guys. But Godwin's been the only one consistent in all year, So Tampa's going to have to take advantage of that. The funny thing about this game is you got to love the matchup of the two probably worst fourth quarter time management coaches in the league between Mike McCarthy and Todd Bowles. Please, don't get
3: me started with Todd Bowles. (laughs)
4: And I'm sure Cowboys fans don't want to get started on Mike
3: McCarthy based on what happened last year. Yeah, but I I trust Mike McCarthy more than I trust Todd Bowles. I mean, yeah, you have to
4: slightly. I mean, Mike McCarthy's won a
3: Super Bowl. Todd Bowles, he won a Super Bowl as a player. Yeah, he won that with a great coach in Joe Gibbs, which Todd Bowles, you're nowhere close to. Was an assistant coordinator when they won a Super Bowl, defensive coordinator. He never won A Super Bowl as a head coach. And honestly, I don't think he can run this team. I think it's Tom Brady and Byron Leftwich if they have any chance of winning this game, I don't think they stand a chance in this game. I think this could be an absolute blowout by the Cowboys. I think the Cowboys need to come in, they need to shut up the fans early in the game, take the pressure off of Dak Prescott, and make the defense dominate what they've been doing all season long, except the last three or four games of the season. The Jets fire Mike LaFleur. I've been saying this for the last year and a half. Mike LaFleur has been the absolute ruination of this offense. With all the weapons the Jets had all season long, they have a breakout wide receiver in Garrett Wilson, who probably is going to win Offensive Rookie of the Year. No thanks to him. Brees Hall, who probably would have won Offensive Rookie of the Year if he actually played the full season. No thanks to him. This offensive line, losing Elijah Vera Tucker, who was an all-pro player this year before he got hurt. No thanks to him. Do you see this understanding of where this offense was going this year? They have playmakers. And even with the playmakers the Jets had, this was one of the worst offenses in the NFL. All Jets fans want to point their fingers
4: just at the quarterback play, but they had barely any running game the last month of the season. There were games where they rushed for less than 60 yards. All they did
3: was run the ball. And they didn't do it efficiently. No, they, they were horrible. First down, run. Second down, run. Sometimes third down, run. It made no sense. And once in a blue moon, he would throw the ball. How could you develop a young quarterback like Zach Wilson, who has ADD, needs to under things a little bit more easily, when you have an offensive corner that's young and stupid? I just don't don't think he's an offensive coordinator in the NFL. And anybody that gives him another chance is an idiot. He's not Kyle Shanahan. He's not Sean McVay. He's not anyone. And I want to hear, well, he was coaching the Jets. He had enough weapons to figure out what their strengths are and what their weaknesses were. And the last six games that they lost, all they needed to do was win two games. And he couldn't find a way to give them half-decent offense. And I don't want to hear about Zach Wilson and Mike White. This team was good enough to get into the playoffs. They were one of the more talented overall teams in the AFC. They're going to have offense Defensive Rookie of the Year, probably. Defensive Rookie of the Year, Sauce Garner, an all-pro player. This team has talent. And the fact that this team couldn't make the playoffs, and Miami did with Tompkins and a hurt to her, it's disgraceful. The Jets should be disgraced for what they did and the numbers they put up. Do you know in the last three games, I think the Jets scored under 20 points. How do you expect to win ball games? if you can't put up the points. And that has to do with the offensive coordinator. Woody Johnson probably told Robert Sala, you need to do something. He fired the wide receiver coach. He fired the offensive line coach. And then he fired the offensive coordinator, which he should have done in the middle of the season. Now they're off for the hunting, looking for the next guy to fill in that position. And where do I think the Jets should go and could go? They need to find a veteran. They need to find a guy that's done it before in the NFL. None of these guys that are rookie offensive coordinators from the Philadelphia Eagles, Minnesota Vikings, San Francisco 49ers, find me a Caldwell, a North Turner, guys that have done it in this league as an offensive coordinator. I don't care if he's 80 or 90 years old. Find me somebody that could get this offense moving in the right direction. And whoever you bring in as a quarterback, if it's Derek Carr, if it's Aaron Rodgers, or Jimmy Garoppolo, they need to figure out who is calling the plays. They need to figure out what coach is going to go into that locker room and demand the respect and the understanding of what a veteran coach has always been respected in an NFL locker room. Team culture wise, I think the good combination
4: that's realistic for the Jets makes sense is Derek Carr, Frank Reich. Frank Reich, who's after Andrew Luck retired, dealt with four different quarterbacks. Not all of them played great, but a lot of them overperformed for their standards. Derek Carr, look at all the adversity he had to deal with with the Raiders, with the whole Gruden stuff.
3: I think Frank is going to get a <laughs> coaching
4: job if he doesn't. Jets need a team culture shift because a lot of the players are good on this team, and they cannot waste them. Frank with all these is from New
3: York. Frank is very good. For friend of Boomer Esiason. He has a very close relationship. Yes, Man, and Frank year. Wright is from Freeport, New York, from Long Island. I would love to see Frank Wright as the offensive coordinator for the New York Jets. And the Jets need to find themselves a good offensive coordinator and a good quarterback. If they bring in Frank Wright, And Derek Carr, they had a very good offseason. And whatever they bring in through the draft, free agency could really be the icing on the cake for the New York Jets. This team is going to be a playoff-bound team. With the weapons they have defensively, the way they played, they were in almost every single top-five statistic when it comes to defense— But the one thing they did wrong this year was not put up the numbers. They need 21 points a game if they have a chance to win the games that they think they can win next year. Sauce, as much as I love you, man, stop coming out and stop telling everybody he's guaranteeing the Jets to make the playoffs in 2023. It is stupid. It's not going to help the Jets. It's going to to put pressure on you to get on the field and fans. And if you're losing next year and you're not putting up the numbers and doing what you did this year, Sauce, the fans will be on you. This is New York. This isn't Cincinnati. This isn't. Texas. This isn't Florida. This is New York. And they expect you to go out there and put the numbers up like you did this year.
4: Three for all picks of the week. L.A. Chargers and the Jacksonville Jaguars. The over under 47 and a half. This is going to be an interesting matchup because both these teams have very similar type offenses. Good receiving depth, even though without Mike Williams for the Chargers, still have some good depth that they played with all the injuries they've had this year. And Austin Eckler, Travis Etienne, two very similar running backs. But I do trust Jacksonville's two things a little more. One, their front seven to be able to rush the passer against the Chargers' banged up line. And Doug Peterson and just a more experienced coach, I think will help get the job done for the Jags. I'm going to take them on the
3: over. Oh, I love the Chargers in this game. I love Justin Herbert. I think he's the better young quarterback right now. He's been the more veteran quarterback in this league. They are both rookies going into the... Both guys have never been in the position, but I do like the Chargers in this game. I do like the running game of the Chargers. I like the defense. Joey Bosa back. I think they're going to put pressure on that offense. As good as the Jaguars' offensive line has been in the second half of the season, are they going to be able to protect Trevor Lawrence against this dominant force of Joey Bosa, an armed monster beast man himself. I don't think they will. I'm going to take the Chargers on the
4: over. Dallas Cowboys and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, 45-and-a-half the over-under. I like the matchup of the two running backs, pass-catching-wise. Not as much running in this game. Tony Pollard and Leonard Fournette. Fournette has not done a good job running the ball, but he's doing a good job with screen passes, and Tony Pollard's done a great job with both this year, but Tampa does do well at stopping the run, but I think both of them will be used to be able to do blitz counters. The one thing I don't trust with the Buccaneers, though, being their offensive line has struggled, is their red zone offense. So I do think they'll be able to move the ball through the air against this Dallas secondary, but stall a lot in the red zone. They've had issues with that this year. So with that,
3: I'm going to take the Cowboys. They just edge it out here in a close game. I'm going to take them on the over. I love the Cowboys. this game. I trust Tom Brady. I don't trust the offense. Evans hasn't looked good all season long. Julio Jones looks old. This could be his last year. I don't know what this offensive line is. Did get worth back. Jansen's missed a significant amount of games. I don't even know if he's playing in this game. I don't know what Todd Bowles is as a head coach in the playoffs. We know what he is in the regular season. We know what he was as a New York Jets head coach. I don't think he's any good. So I'm going to trust Mike McCarthy, the mistakes that he's made over the years, to find a way out of it. As the Cowboys move on for the first time in a long time in the playoffs. Give me the Cowboys on the under. Alright, last one, the New
4: York Giants and the Minnesota Vikings. 48 the over-under. It's going to be a close game. Both teams, all they do is play close games. Both good fourth quarter teams, but I am going to take the Vikings. I just think the Giants have a little too many secondary concerns. Dory Jackson is coming back, but how healthy is he? The Vikings have a lot of receiving depth between Jefferson Thielen and KJ Osborne, another name to watch too, who's played very well the last month of the season. And the Vikings can stop the run, so I don't know if Saquon has the same overall impact on a consistency basis. So
3: give me the Vikings in this game on the under oh I've got the Minnesota Vikings the Giants don't have any weapons Daniel Jones is going to be left to dry in this game Saquon Barkley is going to touch the ball 30 times the Vikings as bad as they were all season long are going to figure out what the Giants do good and nobody's going to be able to stop Justin Jefferson because that secondary is not very good give me the Vikings on the under when we come back MLB Carlos Correa ditches the New York Mets he goes back to the team that gave him the extension last year. The Twins give him a six-year, $200 million contract. And the Yankees now likely to not pursue Brian Reynolds. We will get into that here on The Weekend Crunch. We are back. This is The Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host. Speedster, Remember, you can listen to our show every Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern time only on 103.9. The LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine of the World. Wide Sports Radio Network. I hope everybody enjoyed the Islander game tonight. Boy, oh boy, the Islanders need to find their way out of this. Carlos, a.k.a. I am going to ditch the Mets. Correa, I don't know what happened with these agreements and outlandish craziness from scott boris who we all know is just the biggest pain in the you know what in baseball everybody and their mother thought carlos correa was going to be a met now even the mets are throwing carlos correa under the bus when you look at what met fans were so excited to see a clutch player a career 350 hitter in the playoffs come to the mets move to third base put on some weight And give them a little bit more power in that position that they haven't had since David Wright. But not only that, a guy that is an all-world defensive player. As good as Lindor is at shortstop, Carlos Correa could be better. And everybody was trying, including yours truly, comparing what the Yankees did with Derek Cheater and Alex Rodriguez. It just didn't happen. Steve Cohen came out and challenged Scott Boris and Carlos Correa. Dared them when he gave them an offer. He wanted stipulations in the contract. Here's why the Mets look bad. After the Giants decided to part ways with the contract... Everybody was throwing the Giants under the bus. Everybody was making fun of the Giants. They couldn't close the deal. They couldn't land their superstar player. Made him bring his family. Didn't pass his physical. We're looking at the metal plate in his ankle. They didn't think it was going to hold up. Knowing that the Mets are a professional baseball team, why, after the Giants decided to part ways, because there was a reason, why did the Mets offer Carlos Correa 12 years, $315 million contract if you did know that he had problems with his ankle? Yeah, pretty impulsively, too.
4: It was like the same. Day. The report came out with the Giants.
3: If I was Carlos Correa, I wouldn't be happy about it either. You offer me something and then you take it off the table because you're not sure if it's going to hold up. Meanwhile, I've played 130, 140 games this season, and now all of a sudden they quit on a player that they offered 12 years, 315. Now this is why I think it's Carlos Correa's fault. Carlos Correa could have put his own stipulations into the contract. He could have negotiated with the Mets. He wanted eight years. He only got six. But the Mets were interested and willing to possibly give him eight years. And six of them maybe guarantee it. But he decided to be selfish and want more for the buck. Now, everybody's going to say he made more money. He made $6 million more going to the Twins for a shorter time. When you're offered almost a 12-year, 13-year contract from two different DMs, and now only six years— and it could go up to 10 years if he has a certain amount of at-bats. The chances of him having 600 at-bats at the age of 36 with that ankle problem is slim. Why couldn't Scott Boris and Carlos Correa come up with a good number that made sense for the Mets, where they're both happy. You wonder how many
4: clauses, in addition to the ones we found out with the Twins, that the Mets were trying to put in there, too. Because Carlos Correa might still have these other injury issues down the road, which I think is very possible, because his injury history is very similar to Aaron Judge's, where he's been healthy the last two years, but beyond that, not great. And especially with all these unknown injuries, the Twins, I guess, were willing to be on the little more cautious side where, okay, they could give him the extra years, but on these terms, I don't know if Carlos Correa was going to do that from the Mets. I think he wanted more from the Mets. I think he ended up screwing himself in that case, too, because now he's trying to bank on himself six years down the road, which, 600 at bats is going to be very tough for anybody. That's going to be hard for somebody that maybe has to DH later in his career. It's a lot of risk that Carlos Correa is running, and I'm surprised Scott Boris let him go through with it, but I guess that was the compromising End up getting for the ten-year option.
3: I think they were more interested in going after Manny Machado in the off-season than giving Carlos Correa the eight or nine-year deal worth about two hundred and fifty, two hundred and seventy. They'd rather pay a Manny Machado who has had less injuries. No crazy injuries, even though he's not the clutch player that Carlos Correa is in the playoffs. As a matter of fact, Manny Machado is a career 220 hitter in the playoffs. Yeah, he's kind of streaky. And a guy like Carlos Correa is a career 350 hitter in the playoffs. I think Manny Machado, they believe, will hold up. Knows Buck Showalter pretty well. Buck was there as a growing player with the Baltimore Orioles. I think that they will go heavily after Manny Machado in the offseason next year. And maybe Otani as well. Uncle Stevie's willing to open up his (laughs) pocket, so maybe he'll open up his pockets and will have hundreds of bills in his underwear. This team is not going to stress. They have Beatty. Maybe if Beatty has a good season this year, he hits 25, 30 home runs and gives you about 80 or 90 RBIs, shut down defender. It can stay healthy. Maybe they don't need to spend money for Manny Machado in the offseason next year.
4: They're going to have to get young in some facets, whether it comes from their pitching, whether it comes from some of these new position players that are being more homegrown because the Mets have finally started to home grow a little bit more good position players than they're used to, but still most of the roster is still free agents. So eventually that Money is going to add up. So, whether they stick with Beatty and they go after pitching with that, maybe they go after one big swing of Otani. I don't think that's happening. I think he wants to stay on the West Coast. I think the Dodgers are doing everything they can to get
3: him at this point. I can't see Otani going to the East. He had a chance to be a Yankee and he chose the Angels. I don't want to hear about Epler and how close he is with Epler. Epler worked for the Yankees. And Brian Cashman sure. is one of the better persuading GMs in all of baseball. For anybody to think that Otani backed out of the Yankees because he didn't like Brian. Brian Cashman is ridiculous. Because look at all these GMs. Half the GMs in the MLB worked for the Yankees organization. Worked for Brian Cashman. So to say, Otani and his team didn't really like Brian Cashman in New York Yankees. You're talking about the greatest sports team in baseball history and professional sports. Why wouldn't Otani want to come to New York with the Yankees and decide, Hey, you know what? I'd rather be a Met. It doesn't make sense. I think he's going to stay out West. San Francisco will be heavily after him. Seattle will be heavily after him. The Dodgers will heavily be after him. The Angels will still try to persuade him to stay with them. He's going to make money no matter where he goes. And they all have money. Maybe not Steve Cohen money, but they have money. They're billionaires. And if they want a player that can do the things that they need him to do, I wouldn't be surprised if he stays out West. The Yankees less likely to pursue Brian Reynolds now. I think if there's any team that's going to snag him, it's the Atlanta Braves. They have a good farm system. They're looking for another player to fill in after losing their star shortstop. He goes to the Cubs. Here's the reason why I think the Yankees are backing out of this. They didn't want to trade Nestor Cortez. They want him involved with the trade. They want a pitcher. They want a young pitcher. The Yankees are not willing to part ways with Nestor Cortez, who is one of their better young pitchers. Another guy that they want is Dominguez. And Jason Dominguez is a power switch-hitting player where the Yankees believe he's the future center fielder. I think the Yankees don't want to part ways with him either. Dominguez could be called up as early as this year. And I know he's a prospect, and you can't bet on prospects. And the Yankees haven't been good with their prospects over the last couple of years. Once in a blue moon, you hit on guys like Aaron Judge, who become super superstars, top five players, elite players in league. Who's to say Dominguez can't be? Or Volpe? Or Pereza? They have to take a chance with the youngsters. They have to ride or die with their farm system. Something the Mets haven't done over the years. (laughs) And I think the Yankees and Brian Cashman are trying to figure out his core of young players that he can build around. Dominguez is the one you probably would want to try to
4: preserve because there's a lot of shortstops the Yankees have drafted in the first round over the years, too. Now, Parasa and Volpe are currently the ones that are most suited to make the major league team this year. But there were even a couple other ones, too, in the 2020 and 2021 drafts. They have plenty of that. Whereas the outfield, because of the failures of guys like Florial and Frazier, all the injury issues that those guys had, you don't want to have to have Aaron Judge play all that center field later in your career. Now, in the Reynolds case, you'd be trading for a center fielder that is 27 and controllable, but still, I wouldn't want to have to give up Dominguez, too. i wait until case... he
3: becomes a free agent
4: yeah, in two right. years. I would, too, because you're looking at a It'll case be 29. where they could have them both, and then you just create a good defensive outfield. In two
3: years, Brian Reynolds will be a free agent, still be in the prime of his career. If the Yankees really, really want Brian Reynolds... Sign him. Give him the money because they'll have a chance to get him. I'm sure Brian Reynolds would love to be a Yankee. Why would you give up prospects? Why would you trade a player like Nestor Cortez? He is a breakout player. He's a 27-year-old pitcher who's figuring it out now on the Yankees. The Yankees did draft Nestor Cortez, and then they let him go. He goes to Baltimore. He fails in Baltimore. He became a little bit of a journeyman for two years, and then the Yankees bring him back at free agency. And he has been a fantastic Left-handed pitcher for the Yankees. Now you add a guy like Rodon and him, you have two lefties, two power righties, and then you have a little Schmidt here and a little Frankie Montas there. You're positioned very, very well to have the best pitching staff in baseball. Why would you trade one of those pieces away? It doesn't make sense for the Yankees. Wait until the trade deadline. If Pittsburgh thinks they can't get any more from one of the other teams, spin the wheel, make the deal, and get the deal that you wanted before. They're going to lose him or have no interest in him anymore. Right. And we've seen the Pirates make a lot of bad trades. I've sold short a lot over the years, too. So maybe the Yankees With the are Yankees. thinking, can we take advantage of that again? It's just not going to be now. I think the Yankees, no will sit and wait. They have some good youngsters. They're going to bring up some good youngsters this year. They have one in Cabrera who they really, really like who could be a multiple position type of player, including the infield. I would think he's the utility player all season long. As a second baseman, a shortstop, any outfield position could actually hit. If he plays a full year with the Yankees and gets 270, 280 and gives you 20 home runs, you got yourself a really, really good young player. I'm interested to see what the Yankees are as a youthful team. They're still going to be one of the elite teams. They're one of the top two teams in the American League. The only team that's going to challenge them is the Astros. There's nobody else. Seattle, now that the Yankees got Rodon, and I know they lost out on Castilla, I think the Yankees would be more happier with Rodon because he's a lefty. Castilla is not a lefty. He's a power right-handed pitcher. They don't need any more right-handed pitchers. Is Castillo a good pitcher? Yes. He's one of the top ten pitchers in baseball. Rodon is a top-ten pitcher right now in baseball. Mm-hmm. And it got him on a better contract. I think the Yankees are positioned very, very well to win. Bullpen looks pretty good. Their king will be back this year. He could be their closer. If you're a Yankee fan and a Mets fan, you shouldn't cry. If they stay healthy, they're both going to win 100 games. The only thing that scares me about the Mets is their senior citizen pitching staff. Mm-hmm. I think they cleaned up their bullpen. I'm hearing they could go after Zach Britton. He's not healthy, but he's good. The flyer, like they tried out with Batances. He pitched for Buck. Buck's going to bring in some of his old Baltimore Orioles. And... If Manny Machado becomes available and they need a third baseman next year, they're willing to pay, which they will. If they're going to give Carlos Correa, 300000000 300000000 million, I'm sure they'll give Manny. He wants to come back out east. He wants to play in New York. I know he wanted to be a Yankee before yeah. San Diego scooped him up. Now, are the Yankees interested in him? I don't know if they're going to bring back Luis Severino. They're not going to bring back Josh Donaldson. They could trade Glaber Torres, where they don't have to sign him. So why not bring in Manny Machado?
4: Especially if they trade Torres. Yes. So That's a combined, what they would have had to pay with arbitration plus Donaldson's contract, almost $45 million. Why
3: wouldn't they bring in Manny Machado? The two New York teams could be fighting for the same player in the offseason. It'll be interesting. When we come back, we will be talking to our guests, former Chargers, Cardinals, Panthers, and Ravens, first-round draft pick, our friend Antoine Kaysen, here on The Weekend Crunch. We are back. This is The Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy PD. Remember to listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9. The LI News Radio Network brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Check out the Worldwide Sports Radio website, www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Check out all our shows throughout the week. And now, ladies and gentlemen, our special guest, former Charger, Cardinal, Panther, and And Raven, cornerback, our friend, Antoine Kaysen. Antoine, what's up, man?
2: What's up? How you doing? Just West Coast living? (laughs) (laughs) You're
3: one of the lucky ones.
2: (laughs) Yeah, for
3: sure. I like the colds. I don't like this weather. It's rainy. It's 50 degrees. It's 20 degrees. It's 10 degrees. It's snowing. I don't like this. Just stay cold and let it be cold. New York doesn't ever work that way. But how are you and your family doing with the COVID-19 situation and everything that's gone on over the last couple of years?
2: Yeah, my family, fortunately, is doing well. We've had our challenges with the last few years, but getting through them and everybody now is doing well. So I can't complain about that. And I'm still here. So I'm blessed to be able to still be here through all of that.
3: Well, you should be blessed and you are blessed and you were you blessed to have a pretty long career in the NFL. You being a first round draft pick from the San Diego Chargers. Let's get into your career before we Get into what you think is going to happen going into the playoffs this coming week, which is probably the best week of football every single year. So, Antoine, you've had a very interesting career. You played for multiple teams. You played for the Chargers, the Cardinals, the Ravens, the Panthers. What was it like being drafted in 2008 as a first-round draft pick? Oh, it was incredible.
2: It was a feeling that it's just hard to recreate. You work so hard for so long, and then it happens in your shop. So it's like so many emotions you go through when that happens, but to hear my name, just from thinking about it for so long, and family being around, and being able to live that out was incredible. So the feeling is unmatched. It's really hard to get back into that, because Mm -hmm. all those emotions from Damn, I worked so hard to do this. Is this really happening? (laughs) And then accepting it.
4: So you had to play with a couple of good defensive backs on that team. Antonio Cromartie, who later was with the Jets. Eric Weddle, one of the top safeties. Quentin Jammer was a good corner. So how did they help grow your game and mentor you when you first got to the Chargers?
2: Well, it was interesting. Those guys, those are top picks as well. They played some really great football. So for me, I didn't try and go in there and ask for help or any of those things right away. It was, okay, let me go in here and ball. And then that's when people start to pay attention a little bit more. Let me just figure my own lane out before I start asking everybody what they're doing or how they're doing it and taking so much information. But those guys were incredible, man. Just embracing me with the defense and a lot of times with those veterans, like those guys that I played with, you have fun, be yourself and grind. They understand what comes with that. So they took to me very well and I took to them very well and it just kind of happened in that way.
3: I've been speaking about Noah Turner. Noah Turner, who I think is one of the better offensive coordinators in NFL history. What was it like playing for Norv Turner?
2: It was interesting. Norv wasn't a super tough guy. He really was a veteran coach. He embraced veterans. So for me, as a defender too, it may sound crazy, but I didn't really interact with Norv as much as what it may seem, which was interesting to me. Me being a first-round pick and he was the head coach. It was a little weird, but I didn't have a problem with him. He was more of an offensive guy. And being around those offenses, he did come up with some stuff that was like, oh, wow, <laughs> this guy knows what he's doing.
4: So one of the guests of our show a couple of years ago was your former teammate, Sean Merriman. What was he like on and off the field? Oh, you know, that guy's
2: an interesting dude. On the field, of course, I didn't have the super crazy lights-out years, but I played with him, and he was just an intense guy. On the field, he was all of lights-out. All of what you saw practice, he brought that same intensity. I used to tease him all the time because practice! He (laughs) came oiled up! He came oiled up, shirt up, got his abs out, muscles out. It was lights-out though. That was his thing, and he did it very well.
3: We are talking to former Chargers, Cardinals, Ravens, and Panthers corner Back, Antoine Gason. Antoine, the cornerback position now in the league, these guys are elite. You're talking about guys like Sauce Gardner, six foot three, can run a four four, can jump like a deer, and do all these things. And we look at guys that played at your time, Darrell Rivas and Peterson. Is there a particular cornerback right now that's in the league that you can compare your skills to?
2: You know, it's tough just with what I'm doing. I haven't really paid too much attention. I usually try and like get film and watch it. It's very hard to say. I'm trying to pay attention to Sauce Gardner. But I don't get many New York Jet games on the West Coast. But just to see his length and seeing him in Cincinnati, you know, in college, and then to keep that going, it's hard for offenses to beat DBs who have length and who understand how to use that length to their advantage and just being close. So if a longer, taller, fast corner could just be close, that is like very scary for offenses, and it seems like that's what he's done well. I've always been considered a bigger corner, tall, long, lengthy, can play the ball well. So I don't know yet. I have to get back in my film room and start watching these guys a little closer. No
4: worry, you could go back into the film room and still probably watch more film than Kyler Murray did. <laughs>
2: I love watching it. Just to see players now and how different guys have different abilities and be so athletic is incredible. It's hilarious because watch film. That's your job. All that fun stuff is cool, but watch that film. And I just started to watch it so much that I just got entrenched in it. It's like, oh man, this is what they're doing. I love watching this stuff.
4: Who's the toughest quarterback that you had to go up against and also the toughest receiver you had to guard individually, either man-to-man or in zone coverage?
2: Quarterbacks? sheets. When I was playing, there was Tom Brady, that guy. There was Aaron Rodgers, Peyton Manning, Ben Raffles. Roethlis- Berger was still playing. There were so many quarterbacks that were good. And that's what I talked about earlier, being close. So when you have quarterbacks like that, just be close. Because they put the ball in so many good spots that it was very important for me to be close. Receiver rise, I still played when Randy Moss was there. Of course, he wasn't the same, but he was Randy Moss. Mm -hmm. So you had to take him serious. Marvin Harrison ran great routes. The guy in Detroit, Calvin Johnson, he was a tough, tough cover. There were a lot of guys. I've covered tight ends. There was Tony Gonzalez. Vernon Davis was super fast you know there was a fullback who would split out at wide receiver sometimes and you couldn't take him lightly his name was Marcel Reese yeah
3: I remember Marcel Reese yeah he
2: was fast early on. there were tough covers the smaller quick guys they just ran some scat routes and things like that but there were a lot of good receivers
3: we are talking to former Chargers Cardinals Ravens and Panthers cornerback Antoine Kaysen there's something that you have in common with Deion Sanders and Charles Woodson it's crazy to say this but you won the same award they did in college the Jim Thorpe Award. What was it like winning defensive back of the year?
2: That was huge because throughout the whole recruiting process, it's totally different now, but then the coaches only got one visit a week. That visit, my uncle would be there, my mom, my dad, my grandparents, and all of that stuff. And my uncle's question always would be to the coaches, what are you going to do to help my nephew win the Jim Thorpe Award? Because that is one of his goals. Mm-hmm. And it was always interesting because the coaches probably weren't ready for that, but when the Stoops came in, they started rattling off names. He had Terrence Newman, they had Roy Williams, he had Derek Strait, and then Mark Stoops had Ed Reed, Sean Taylor, Mike Rump, Philip Buchanan. And all these names. And it was like, well, sheesh. Well, here we are. (laughs) Sounds like this is the company I need to be in. Mm. Being able to go to Arizona, work my tail off, coming out being a three-star recruit, and not highly recruited at all. Three offers in the Pac-10 at the time is a good amount of offers, but it wasn't what people think. Having to go in there and work. I started off as a freshman, of course, fourth string, fifth string, corner. That was going into my true freshman year. Coach Stoops always said, I don't care. I don't give a damn if you're a freshman, sophomore, junior, senior. If you can contribute and play, I'm going to find a place for you to play. Well, so I said, Dad, that's where I'm going. And they have Thorpe, all these DBs, fourth string DB, going into camp in the summer, fifth string DB, true freshman year starting, and then just taking that all the way out and saying this dream is real and so when i won it it just took me back to all of those times where people didn't think i could be what i could be and the biggest thing was is seven of those schools in the pac-10 not the three that i was recruited to or offered those coaches told me to my face we don't think you're good enough to play corner in the pac-10 that's what i heard that's what i was told that's not he say she say that's what they told me and so I took that chip, like, okay, you can kiss all of what I got, and I'm going to come in here and do this, and I did it. And that was just so satisfying to me.
4: You played in the Pac-10. You're still an Arizona guy, Pac-12 guy. We've seen a lot of expansion going on in college football, especially with the Pac-12. Now UCLA and USC going to the Big Ten in a couple of years. So what is your thoughts on all that? And can you see the Pac-12 kind of get back to that former glory that it had with teams like USC and Oregon?
2: It's interesting, SC and UCLA leaving. That decision sounds like it was made for the best for them to be better, national, different recruiting. I have no idea. But for the Pac, Deion Sanders is in Colorado, so that's a little resurgence Utah is playing well. Washington, I hear, has a really good coach. The quarterback played well. They played well. You have Oregon, who usually does pretty good. So, if the Pack can start getting in some bowl games again that matter, the Rose, bowl, like those top bowls, and start winning again, then that could probably help but coaches matter as well and when i talk to youngsters about it a lot of the southern california kids go to the sec big 12 or go somewhere else because of coaching how much these coaches are getting paid they could go get a staff worth recruiting these kids out of southern california so i don't know what it is what the pac-12 is doing how these schools are getting the coaches but a lot of them are well who is this guy coaching my son i don't know who you are i'd rather go to some proven school or a coach that i know that's going to get my son to where we want to go and that's the league so you see that with deon sanders he could go into any living room and speak about ball and you have to listen because he was good and he's proven that he could go recruit and have success with what he's saying. So a lot of that stuff is going to, I think, start to have to take effect on some other schools. you got to bring in some guys that know what they're talking about a little bit or who maybe the youth respected their game. So all of those things I think, just looking on the surface, the pack will have to kind of get back to. We are
3: talking to former Chargers, Cardinals, Ravens, and Panthers cornerback Antoine Kaysen. You look at the playoffs and the way it's set up right now, and I'm sure you've been watching it. There's a lot of interesting games this week. Is there a game that sticks out to you the most? And what What has the league looked like over the last couple of weeks that has translated going into the playoffs?
2: In your eyes, they've added a game. It gets really interesting, right? And it's like, oh, close to breaking records. I'm like, guys, they've added a game. That helps. And they've added an extra team to the playoffs, Mm -hmm. which has made things more competitive because more teams could be in the hunt and have a chance. I'm interested to see this San Francisco 49ers and Seattle Seahawks. This is going to be an interesting one. How are those two teams going to play each other again? This will be the third time. Division team, you have Pete Carroll, who's been there forever. He keeps things light and good. And then they have a quarterback that you don't really believe in. Not many people have believed in that quarterback so it's interesting to see him in the playoffs I really want to see how they play and then on the other hand you have the 49ers who no one was giving that quarterback too much credit either but that's the beauty of the league is yeah. you have an opportunity to step up and ball and now you have it in the playoffs what are you gonna do so that's kind of the game there and then of course Tampa and Dallas
3: come on <laughs> I know a lot of people don't think the Cowboys have a chance it's I, I'm interested
2: to see because there's so much talk around the Cowboys who are they where they going to do? Is Dak going to show up? Is he not? And then Tampa Bay has not played well all no. year. And that Tampa Bay staff was the coaching staff that I had when I played for the Cardinals. So that's another reason why I'm really interested in that. And I'm a big fan of Todd Bowles. They've had a lot of things going on. So it's going to be interesting to see two teams that have had a lot of stuff going on all year to play in the playoffs, really? Mm-hmm. And one of the teams almost were under 500.
3: You know, they were trying to bring in an eighth team from each conference to make the playoffs this year with the Holes, oh, yeah. DeMar Hamlin thing. They're trying to bring in more revenue, as we know what Roger Goodell likes to do. But it didn't make any sense. Seven teams is enough. Really, it should have been nine. six. Some of these teams we've seen over the years. Seattle made it under five hundred. They made it to the playoffs. Yeah, they were seven I mean, and nine, and
2: that's tough. Under five hundred team making it to the playoffs is kind of tough. You know, tell me I, about
3: it. I'm a Jet fan.
4: I feel bad for teams like your Cardinals, team. You guys were ten and six and just missed out on a tiebreaker. I'm a Giants fan. They had it twice in three and, years. They were ten and, and six and just missed on a tiebreaker. Just, yeah, right. And
2: then when I was a rookie. My first year, we made it to the playoffs at 8-8. Eight and eight. We won the division, the AFC West, at 8-8. Eight and eight. All week, we got talked about. It was really bad, right? Mm-hmm. So we had a home game against the Indianapolis Colts. Peyton Manning, Indianapolis Colts, I remember Seattle. that game, yeah. They were a wild card that year because the Tennessee Titans were 13-3. and three. So they didn't win the division. They were a wild card. And everyone said that the Chargers shouldn't have a home game and <laughs> gave us a hard time. And we went in there and won the game. I've been on both ends of it where we've been 8-8, eight and eight, 500 got to the playoffs and actually won a game. Speedy, why don't you
4: tell Antoine what you call the L.A. Chargers? All right, I've always called them since 2009. Again, you were part of that team, so it was kind of tough, but once you guys lost to the Jets, you were my Super Bowl pick that year, that team, and
2: uh, I can't believe that. Yeah, and all the the
4: weird ways that they seem to lose, I started calling them the least clutch team in football.
2: I can't even argue that because I was sitting there like, how the heck are we losing like this? Like, this is insane.
4: We had Chargers former punter Darren Bennett we had on the show too and he was actually kind of laughing at that too and he was mentioning a lot of the Chargers special teams history since they got rid of Mike Cypress too and it was just like yeah it's pretty true Antoine (laughs)
3: before we let you go could you tell us the funniest Philip Rivers story that you can tell us because we've heard stories that he used to hide in the bushes and scare people in the morning when they're about to go to practice he did some crazy stuff we've had some of your former teammates on the show and they told us some of the crazy things he used to
2: do in the locker room and the between meetings and when we have time off people will play cards or dominoes so philip is like what are you guys playing dominoes brother like what do you mean you know (laughs) he sits down to try and play he has no clue obviously he's a smart dude he's gonna figure it out pretty quickly right Mm -hmm. but the way he was holding his dominoes and trying to put them down and we're playing with him and he drops them all on the table (laughs) (laughs) and we're just sitting there like philip you gotta get up you gotta go you gotta figure out how to play this game and then come back i think that might have been more of a moment thing, but that was the first Philip Rivers story that popped in my head that was pretty funny. Him, for the first time, trying to play dominoes. I we should I have been could've... counting
3: dominoes the same way people count cards <laughs> and claim they cheat. <laughs> We've heard some crazy stories about Philip Rivers and Mr. Window Thrower, who yes. I believe is a Hall of Famer and a fantastic performer on the field. Never got a chance to go and play in a Super Bowl, but the guy, I remember when he played on one leg with torn ACL all the way in the playoffs. He lost to
4: the Patriots the in the AFC Championship. It was Patriots.
3: That was, yeah. the, was the, the year before you were drafted. After the I remember those games, and that's what makes Philip Rivers so special. I think the guy was just a warrior.
2: There's no doubt ultimate competitor. No one could take that away from Philip, Super Bowl or not. Ultimate competitor. He made plays. We won a lot. Heck of a player. Cannot take anything away from him in that regard.
4: This is another one of the random instances of the least clutch to be a football thing. It was the game that he botched the snap on the kneel down and then. Jeez,
2: that's Kansas City. See, now I you, remember you know, that. You, you're reactivating a PTSD, man. Oh. Come on,
3: <laughs> he brought it up initially. I was a ghost. (laughs) Listen, I like to throw a couple of curveballs, but Antoine, we really appreciate you joining us. We'll definitely get you on again. I would love to get more in depth about your career and some of the players and some of the teams that you played with. We really appreciate your time.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It was good to get on here and talk to you guys, and I'll be on the lookout for next time. Absolutely.
3: We really appreciate the time, and stay safe over there in Arizona, man. It looks like it's nice and warm. Oh, no.
2: I'm in Long Beach. Oh, nice. Oh,
3: that's even better. It's
2: been raining a little bit, but I can't complain. It doesn't rain that much, So, we need a little While
3: Well, rain. we had rain all day. Anyways, good night, Antoine. We really
2: appreciate you. All right. Thanks, fellas.
3: Antoine Kaysen. We've interviewed a lot of ex-NFL players, but first-round draft picks, not many. We've interviewed a lot of great players, yes. future Hall of Famers, great players. A lot of these future Hall of Famers are not even first-round draft picks. A lot of the guys we've interviewed have been undrafted, too. Antoine <laughs> so. Kaysen was a first-round draft pick, drafted by the Chargers. An interesting story, and a nice guy. Really, really cool, collective type of guy. When we come back our pal wes he's back no covid no problem he's back with our pal Chaz here on money line mania only on the weekend crunch we are back ladies and gentlemen this as the Weekend Crunch, I'm your host, Daryl Marks. My co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, to listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Check out the Worldwide Sports Radio website by going to www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Check out all our shows, Wake and Bake, from our guys that are going to be coming on for Moneyline Mania. Check them out every single Saturday. Check out the Sports Loud Melts. Wednesdays at 7 p.m. and Thursdays at 9 p.m. Support what we do here. One of the biggest and the best and brightest digital sports radio networks in the country. And now, ladies and gentlemen, our betting guys, our naturals, Moneyline Mania.
0: This is Moneyline Mania.
3: With and the Crew. Wes is back, he's healthy, COVID-19, out of here, his kid is getting bigger, his wife is singing, and our fearless leader, our betting man himself, Mr. Chaz. Chaz, what's up, man? Wild card weekend, man. It's not one of the better wild card weekends. Talking Super Bowl, next week will be the week where we're going to be talking about some of the better games.
0: Wes, how are you, man? I've been good. Big wins on the natty. Did very well college bowl season and wrapped up the NFL regular season right around 67%. It's been a good ending to the year. I hope everybody had a good Except holiday. Except
3: Buckeyes losing in a game that could have taken them to the national title game and won them a championship. Thank you, Georgia.
0: They didn't win the game, but they won a lot of respect in that game, and, and they belong. And, and they very well could have won that game. As a Buckeye fan, I'm very proud of what they did on New Year's Eve.
3: No, you better be careful. They might bring Urban Meyer back. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Urban
0: did well by us. He had to go to the NFL
3: in order to fail. He had to do a lot of things to fail. How about hanging out with some young ladies at his bar? I don't know nothing about it.
1: You got something against young ladies now? No. Did you notice how he was oodling over at the next booth? It's like Hollywood Squares.
3: Urban Meyer's married and he has daughters the same age as the girls that he's hitting on. That's scary to me. I hope it's good for him. It's not good for me.
1: There's only two teams not playing this weekend. You got your team, Kansas City, and you got the Eagles. The Eagles were the best team of the NFC, but is it me or is it the AFC just look like the better conference right now?
0: It's a coin flip to me because I think there's only three teams that could go to the Super Bowl out of the AFC. I feel that Buffalo's going to have a tremendously emotional weekend and a huge win and then they're going to walk into a complete mismatch and get smoked by Cincinnati. Cincinnati was about to smoke them before the unfortunate situation. I think that it's Cincinnati and Kansas City and and there's nobody
1: else in the AFC can give them a challenge. Yeah, but NFC doesn't have three good Good teams. I
0: look at the predictions and I look at the odds and somebody is going to shock the world. It's not going to be the Giants. Too many people that think the Giants have a shot against Minnesota and I, I'm not one of them. The NFC, is it Dallas? Would it be shocking if Dallas went on a run?
3: I think the Bills are the team to beat. I understand you like Cincinnati. I understand Cincinnati is one of the hottest teams in the league. I understand Joe Burrow is a star after going to go into the Super Bowl last year. There's something about the Buffalo Bills. They do have Hyde coming back next week adding that safety power that they need against somebody like the Bengals. The Bengals are missing certain pieces. Their pass rushing is not at 100% going into the playoffs. They depend a lot on Joe Burrow and the weapons that they have. I do believe that the Buffalo Bills can control that offense, but do the Bengals have enough to control the Buffalo Bills in the open field? And remember, they got to go to Buffalo. It's going to be cold. It's going to be wet. I believe the Buffalo Bills have the advantage with the whole DeMar Hamlin. And by the way, DeMar Hamlin might not be there this week. He'll definitely 110% be there when they play Cincinnati if it happens.
0: Joe can throw three interceptions and get sacked sick time and win the game. Josh Allen cannot. The Bengals defense has a way of making things really ugly and difficult. Can't really even describe statistically what it is they're good at. They show up at key moments. There is nobody on that Buffalo secondary that scares me at all, and Joe Burrow can carve them up.
3: So you're not scared of Hyde? You're not scared of White? It's a pass rush of Buffalo. That pass rush
0: is only as good as them playing with the league. Would but,
3: you be right. surprised if Buffalo shuts down Joe Burrow and that offense? I wouldn't.
0: Yes, I'd be extremely surprised. The only way that happens is if they go up by 17-3, to but even then Joe is not out of the game. He's one of the best second half quarterbacks we've seen in the last decade possibly. They're never really out of it. What was the lead they overcame at Arrowhead? Nobody will convince me that Buffalo is more difficult than Arrowhead. There's
3: something about Kansas City. I know there's a lot of Kansas City people out there that think Kansas City is going to the Super Bowl this year. What Patrick Mahomes, the numbers he put up, he's going to win the MVP. I wouldn't be surprised if they match up against the Chargers next week that the Chargers eliminate Kansas City. The Chargers play him very, very well. I know they're not going to have Mike Williams for the rest of the playoffs. Thank you to uh, the coaching staff over there. And with the Chargers, Chargers going to charge right? If the Chargers beat the Jaguars, I think they match up very, very well against Kansas City. And Kansas City, over the years, has had problems with the Chargers.
1: I'm looking to find Wild Card Weekend, a team that I'm going to ride all the way to the Super Bowl. I'm looking for a team that may even lose the game but win me points. So I'm talking about a dog. Which... Dog, am I going to get when I look next weekend? Because this weekend you got a couple double digits. You're not getting double digits next weekend. Tampa, if they go on
0: and handle business against Dallas, and I'm saying if, there'll be value there just like there is this week, they'll probably get points. It's hard to say if Dallas is going to be a dog or not. Dallas is going to end up going to Philadelphia, division opponent. I can't see the odds makers giving that spread more than three and a half on either side. When it
1: gets to that opportunity to bet on which conference is winning the Super Bowl this year, I'm betting the AFC if I'm betting that play. Um, I'm right there with you. Just on yeah. quarterback alone. I disagree. With,
3: if San Francisco gets into the Super Bowl, I think San Francisco could absolutely
1: win. It's them? Dallas, here's the problem with Dallas. You gotta win too many games for Dallas. They're so inconsistent. I watched Dak. These weren't tip drills. The ball was in the belly button of the defensive player. It was pretty easy for him to intercept it. It was in his belly, for heaven's sake. So, yeah, I would agree. But when we start with the Sunday game, waiting around for the game to start, next thing you know, you get a honeydew list thrown at you. When the game doesn't start for four hours, you can carpet clean. <laughs> no, I don't want to carpet clean. It's wild card weekend, for heaven's sake.
4: Ch- Chaz, this is a good excuse for you to wake and bake. You can wake and bake to watch Skylar Thompson. You no, have to no, get no, high
1: so. We own our own carpet cleaner machine. If I have the jug of the cleaner in my hand that I'm pouring it into the machine, I've already waked and baked. There's not a shot hell of a carpet cleaning. It's not stoned. And I'm not disrespecting carpet cleaners out there because it's a hard work. When you're done carpet cleaning, you're sweating. Nice by the time the coffee's <laughs> made and it's 9-9-15 and you're getting your bets in, nobody's bothering me on Sunday. We got four games. Wes, we should try to come up with a 10-1, 12-1, four-teamer. The Miami Buffalo
0: game, Buffalo's winning the game. The only question is by how much. When I look at these games and I look at big lines, things have to happen. Like a 13 point lead or a 20 point Lead, things kind of have to fall into place for that to happen. It needs to be a total breakdown on one side or there's interceptions. At least that's the way the NFL functions. What we saw in the national championship game is not what happens in the NFL. So I have trouble laying 13 and a half points, even though Buffalo is probably going to cover, but that's not my action. The pick I posted is that I believe the Miami team total is going to be over 15 and a half. I'm not saying Miami's going to score a ton of points. I think that they got a shot at a five yard pass to Tyreek Hill that he takes to the house because he's got that kind. Of speed, And, and he's familiar with the Buffalo secondary. When Buffalo is ahead 41 to 10 in the fourth quarter, Miami might score something. There's always a chance for a return, or even a pick six Josh Allen can be reckless. I like Miami to score more than 15 and a half points. This is an NFL game, and I think that Miami is well coached. It has better value and a lower risk than trying to lay
1: 13 and a half points
0: and hoping that everybody does what they're supposed to do. 13 and a half is a lot
1: of points to chase, not with my money. It's a crazy amount of points. I'm actually going a different way. In the first quarter, in their last nine games, Buffalo overs are 8-1. and one, But they're against the spread. They're 1-6 and six because whereas every other team in the world, when they're favored, is given a half a point, Buffalo's given 3. What's the line going to be on the first quarter in this game? If the line is 14, it's going to be three and a half, four. 4 That's why they don't cover. But they go over 8-1. and one. I was afraid of playing the over here because I was afraid that I wouldn't get any points from Miami, but now that I know that I am, because Wes told me I am, I'm much more comfortable with the over here. They played twice. Miami won 21-19 and Buffalo won 32-29. Tua was playing in these games. If you look at Miami, since he's not playing, they're not scoring. If they're down big, then they're going to have to play a different type of offense. If you're assuming Buffalo's going to whack them pretty good. And you're up by 19. 19 in the NFL, the game is over, unless you're the Colts. But in a playoff game, with a good team, if they're up by 19, the game is over. But not if you're given 13 and a half, it ain't over. You can get beat without even them needing to make that extra point. With Buffalo's defense, I can't bet Miami's team total over. I'll take it as part of my over, but I do have a three-team parlay that I'm doing for the first quarters that involves this game. It is over in the Buffalo, Miami game for the first quarter, Cincinnati for the first quarter, and Minnesota for the first quarter. I don't normally do first quarter parlays, and the reason is because the book I usually use doesn't offer them. I can't called my guy down in Costa Rica today. I'm going to put some money in so make sure we get all the bonuses set. Wes is a big believer in taking that free money. I will have my money this weekend in two different places because the place I like that really does a better job of running a sports book doesn't offer that play and I'm going to bet a three-team first quarter parlay. My wife thinks betting first quarter parlays is crazy. (laughs) I like it. Anything to be unique and different from your wife, why not? Yeah, exactly. We're pretty good handicappers, Wes and I. We just gave out two plays in the same game and neither of them had anything to do with who won the game. That's why Moneyline Mania really is such a special, special little segment here on Saturday night. Do we always give you winners? No. Has Wes given you like the last three championships? I think so. He gave you CFL. He gave you Georgia. And he gave you somebody before that. Golden year. State. Steph Curry and his shit. Yeah, of- Golden State. Oh, no, please. The
0: next one I'm looking at, I'm looking at the Giants in Minnesota. And it's getting very difficult because sports betting is legal in so many places. And so now it's very difficult to differentiate movement driven by public money versus smart money because there's so much $10 public money bettors out there. 53% of the bets were on the Giants taking three points and the line has not moved. I think Minnesota's defense is what's going to show up here. How are the Giants going to score? Daniel Jones, it doesn't even matter your opinion of him. Keep him, dump him. He's good. Danny Dimes, he's not. Who's he going to throw the ball to? Which means Saquon Barkley is who Minnesota has to watch. And I think Kirk Cousins, he's got the best receiver in football.
3: Who are they going to put on Justin Jefferson to stop him? Okay, Is anybody
0: going to put on him?
3: There's only three teams that kind of shut him down this year. The Jets were one of them, Eagles were the other, and the Lions were the other.
0: Minnesota, there was a point when they had a negative point differential, but they're still 13-4, and Mm -hmm. and they've been listening to every idiot, myself included, talk about how they're not Capable and they don't belong, and they're going to prove that they do. The three-point spread. If, if you look at their average, they're averaging 25 points a game, and the Giants are averaging 21 and a half points a game. Just there alone covers the three-point spread. But the only reason the Giants are really having that kind of average is they had a couple games where they scored more, but most of the time they're just not scoring points. I love. No, Minnesota.
4: they only have one game where they scored 30 points this year,
0: <laughs> and that's what's elevating that average. I love Minnesota in this spot. They have better personnel. The Giants. Congrats on getting to the playoffs. You're probably a year ahead of plan. They're going to have a good offseason, but I think Minnesota's going
3: to make tight work of this. I can't see the Giants winning this game. it have to be an absolute miracle. Danny Dimes is going to have to run over 100 yards in this game. They're going to have to run the ball and control the clock, and that defense is going to have to put pressure on a guy like Kirk Cousins. Now, we all know that Kirk Cousins, in primetime games, especially games when it's on national television, he does not play well. But something tells me he's going to go into this game. It's going to be loud in Minnesota. The fans are going to be crazy. I don't don't know if the Giants have enough weapons to really stay in this game. I believe this game will be 10-0 before you know it, and then the Giants will be chasing, and as soon as they start chasing, that's when Minnesota really starts to eat you up and starts to attack. You saw what they did against Buffalo this year when Buffalo fell behind and, and in the fourth quarter, and then they started taking over. And even with their defense being as weak as it is, especially in the secondary, they have playmakers. And you saw it against the Jets. You saw what Smith needed to do in the game to make a play. They helped them win. I think they'll make enough plays defensively to win them this game.
1: Minnesota, I believe, is the least respected of all the NFC hundred But you know all the Giants do is cover. On the road, they've covered seven of their last eight games. Now, they're getting points in most of them, but when you're betting, you bet a team and they cover. That's all you care about is you're cashing a ticket. Minnesota's going to score 27 points. Then you got to say, what's the line? Four? got to win by four. I don't see the Giants scoring 23 points. But they just played. I don't like talking about games in October. It was a high-scoring game, and it was in this stadium. That game, I could see it being a little like that. On the road, their is 4-1. and So I already told you I like Minnesota in the first quarter because they haven't scored a point in the first quarter since... November 24th, 0-6 against the spread. Six straight weeks. They haven't scored in the first quarter. You get behind in the playoffs to a decent team, and and you could bash Kirk Cousin all you want, but the bottom line is, this isn't the first team he's taken to the playoffs, right? Washington. His struggles are prime time. I realize it's a
0: standalone game, but if it was at 7 o'clock at night,
1: it will be daylight. All right, so let's get to our third game, the late game tomorrow. And we see that almost every year, a division team that slides around and they end up playing each other the next week in the wild card. They just whacked him. I mean, it wasn't as close as the score. I just don't see Baltimore scoring. They can't score without this kid. I don't see how they beat this team.
3: I can't wait until the offseason when Lamar Jackson tells him sayonara, what they're going to do in the offseason with their quarterback position. He's
1: an MVP, so I'm not bashing MVP, but the bottom line, his legs are more dangerous than his arm. That'll win you Tim Tebow championships, but it will not win. NFL championship. The legs have to be the secondary oh. thing. Look at Mahomes. Mahomes beat you with his legs only when he can't find anything to throw to. and Until a running quarterback stopped getting hurt in the NFL, and I'm old enough to see a lot of them, and they all end up getting hurt.
3: I would disagree, because Russell Wilson at the time that he won a Super Bowl, he was more of a running quarterback. Also, Colin Kaepernick, 49ers, they were one play away from winning a Super Bowl. back. Yeah, and
1: won an MVP. I'm not saying you can't have a great season or two. I'm talking about guys that last 15 years and have 27 career playoff starts. They ain't running quarterbacks usually. Randall Cunningham was. you named three quarterbacks, dude. There's War- been 700 since Warren Randall Cunningham. Warren Moon Warmu was a running quarterback? Yeah, 100%. In the CFL he was. Well, yeah, in the yeah. CFL, they would give you he another 40 yards. <laughs> he gets 40 yards of square footage. About, uh, I'm excited to feel. How about the
3: Do-Chaz? It's Canada. It's a meter. <laughs> Thalbach, he was yeah. a running quarterback. All I would agree with you. 90. The pocket All present more. quarterbacks are always the ones that succeed the most.
1: I made it my best bet of the week. I had 11 tickets tied to that Cincinnati game. It was going exactly the way I went. And then, as a former football player, I just stopped giving my bets. And when have you ever heard me say I don't care about my bets? I know my dog's having an epileptic fit, honey, but let me just see this fourth down and then I'll try to get the dog from swallowing his tongue. That's really where I'm at. But that thing shook me up big time. And so I'm looking forward for Cincinnati to get back on the field and get this game. And, and I really think they're going to come out strong. This
0: Cincinnati Baltimore game it's interesting because I heard a statistic John Harbaugh is the number one coach in the league and I believe all time for road playoff wins Baltimore division opponent Cincinnati I don't know that Cincinnati is going to need to win this game by nine. I don't see how Baltimore is going to score points.
1: I'll throw some easy sports data in the playoffs Baltimore five straight unders They've scored 20 or less in all of them. Since 2013, Cincinnati's been in nine playoff games. The last four... Straight, They've won and gone under. They've covered and they've gone under. They covered the Super Bowl. Between these two teams, they've got their last 14 straight playoff games going under. We have been winning on unders with Cleveland and Cincinnati and Pittsburgh, Baltimore all year long. I'm going to continue to ride that train. It's the lowest under of the weekend. I always like taking the lowest under. I always tell people, don't be afraid to bet the lowest under or the highest over. Because they can't do anything more with that number. At some point, they have to stop or the line gets all skewed for them. Remember, when Wes talks about the sharp money, the public money, the bottom line is the book knows where their risk is. They're not stupid. They're big businesses. They know exactly where they need to move the number, and then sometimes they got to just bite their fingernails the whole game.
3: Your favorite thing to do, Chaz?
1: I agree on the under. I believe that Cincinnati's
0: going to win this. They might cover the spread, but only if... They need to. I don't know that they're going to need to win by nine. I think that they'll probably just have this game within reach. But I am going to be playing Cincinnati over 12 and a half for the first half. If they don't cover that, if they don't score 13 points or more in the first half, they will not win the game.
1: Their last eight first halves, they have scored 10 plus. They're 4-1 against the spread in their last five overall and 5-0 and oh against the spread at home. Did you know Cincinnati has not allowed a touchdown in their last... 10 first quarters. I may have mentioned they're part of that first quarter parley. This is a ball sport team, right, that doesn't score.
0: They don't score, and now they got a third-string quarterback. And so, that means there's three and outs, there's extra opportunity for Dillboro, and again, if Cincinnati does not score over 12 and a half points, which is that number, in the first half, something really went wrong, and I'm probably switching up and betting on Baltimore to win the game.
1: I would go the opposite way, because I know what their stats are in the second half, and you mentioned it. The kid comes out and just his precision in the second half. I don't know if artificial intelligence, he gets all the data from the first half, he runs it through his system at halftime, and he comes out, and they're just a very, very good team in the second half. Could have been a number one seed if things have gone another, a couple different ways, but they are the defending AFC champion they for are. a reason. Yeah. We are on the Dallas at Tampa Monday Night f- Now this is the game, my article in Las Vegas Insider is actually up as we speak, they published it. It is on this game.
0: I like Dallas of this game. Their consistency is really hard for me to lay money on. Their roster's better. At this juncture, I, I think Dak is capable of playing a better game than Brady is of playing a better game than Dak just with the weapons he has around him. But everything has to fall into place for Dallas to win the game. Dallas has a better defense. They can get after Brady and make this a, a difficult game for him. Tampa's not putting up a lot of points. Dallas is, and they're putting them up against anybody. Tampa's averaging 18 points a game. They're going to have to hang at least 23 if they're going to beat Dallas. A bad performance out of Dallas is going to be 25, 27 points. Well,
1: not what we saw last week, so what do you do? We do deal with this Westwood horse racing. There are times you have to say, for whatever reason, put a line throw it right? right just cross out that race make believe it didn't ever happen. How do you handle an away game at Washington where they just looked like they should not even be a 6-1 team.
0: You and I have known each other for a decade, and for a decade, you've heard me say, you never bet an NFC East matchup, not on any side, under any circumstances, and that's why. It was an NFC East matchup, it's a division matchup, and, and those teams, they show up, and their whole life depends on ruining the other guy. And it's easy to throw it out the window, but that was their lowest scoring performance of the season. I don't think that Tampa's going to be able to score enough points to stay with Dallas.
1: When, when, you look at, credit for, when you look at... When you look at the Buccaneers, all you see is L's against the spread numbers. Against the spread game, 2-13. In the second half of spread, which the second half right, is when you win championships. So when you win games in the second half. 3-11 against the spread. They've scored 3 or less, 10-11 of 11 in the first quarter. The one that jumps out at me, though, is the playoffs. The last time Dallas covered a playoff game was 2015. They're 0-5 against the spread. We know Brady's playoff record's pretty decent. But they did lose to the Rams last year. Before that, they were 4-0. They are not the same team, though. When I got to this game, I was talking to Billy Elvis on 93.1, the fan out of Lima, Ohio today. I didn't play this game. I could see... Dallas finding a way to win this game by a point, which wouldn't help you if you bet Tampa Bay. I like
0: Dallas in this spot. I don't know what I think of their chances next week because what they do this week doesn't demonstrate that they're going to show up and do it next week.
1: In the back of your mind, you've got some asterisks, and that's because you got the old man playing. He really needs to win this game because he lost all that money with FTX, you know? Oh, that's a low blow. <laughs> Everybody
3: lost a lot. That guy's going to jail for a long, long time. Before. Always be cashing. Have a good night, guys. <laughs>
1: Good night, guys. See you later, Wes. All right, gentlemen. Always be casual.
3: Chaz and Wes, ladies and gentlemen, Moneyline Mania, one of the best segments you can have when it comes to betting. The best of the best right there. When we come back, some NBA conversation. As the New York Knicks, could they land Zach Levine? Do they need Zach Levine? As they're one of the hotter teams in the NBA, Jalen Brunson, nine 30-point games, the most of his career, one of the hot players in the NBA, one of the hot players for the New York Knicks, and helping the Knicks. And Durant. Out again. How does this hurt? The clowns of Brooklyn here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Weekend Crutch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co host, Speedy. Remember to listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Check out the Worldwide Sports Radio website by going to www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Check out all our stories, our great shows. They're live throughout the week in our show, The Sports Loud Mounds, which airs every Wednesday. At 7 p.m. and Thursdays at 9 p.m. Crazy weather, man. 50 degrees. On Friday, it's been 55, 40, it bounces back. We haven't had a cold week. I think we had two really cold days so far. It was 20 the degrees. one random day it snowed, and that was it, pretty much. <laughs> it wasn't even snow. It yeah, was it was light snow, light I Light snow. Yeah. We haven't had any snow yet, in January. It's crazy. I was yeah. waiting to walk
4: into the snow out of his flip-flops. Flip-flops.
3: <laughs> My shorts where I scoop up some snow. I enjoy it, man. I know everybody thinks I'm crazy when I go out with shorts, in the snowstorms, but I like the cold. It's interesting with the four seasons, I can never live in Florida. Texas either. I know it snows in certain parts of Texas. It does, yeah. Even in California, it snows a little bit in certain areas, but I like the four seasons. I don't like the heat, the humidity. I always hate the summers here. I just... Don't like it. The bugs, the gnats, the mosquitoes. I hate it, especially against the water over here. I don't even swim in the water anymore because of the sharks. I I don't like sharks. I used to like to surf. I don't even do that anymore. I was going to do the polar dive. I was there. I I go there every single year to support everything that they do. Shout out to the organization that does that. I just don't like going into the water. I still don't trust the water, even as cold as the water, that there aren't sharks lurking around the waters of the Great South Bay. I'll enjoy the pool. I'll surf in my pool. Anyways, Kevin Durant will miss at least a month with another MCL sprain. Kevin Durant has had an MVP year. He's been one of the better players in the NBA. He's been fun to watch. They've been exciting. Yes, the clown show themselves. Kyrie Irving is wearing his like red nose. And Kevin Durant right now is painted knees and hanging out with the sheep and the elephants. So I don't know what the Nets are going to do for a month without Kevin Durant in that lineup. Ben Sivens is going to have to pick up the slack. and He's not an offensive player. That means Kyrie is going to have to score close to 40 points. He's going to have to hog the ball. They don't get enough points off the bench. They're a good defensive team. When Kevin Durant is in the lineup, Claxton, defensive player, they're not getting enough offense. They could fall out of the top two, top three seeds in the NBA in the Eastern Conference, being that they lost Kevin Durant for a significant amount of time. Now, the trade deadline is right around the corner. Maybe they make another trade and bring in a better veteran to help out while Kevin Durant is not healthy. Usually when you hear a month, up to a month, it's usually a month and a half, two months for Kevin Durant. Yep.
4: Especially for a reoccurring injury. So, So,
3: I I don't expect Kevin Durant to be back until end of March. That is a long time. 30 games. 25 games without Kevin Durant. And then, when he does come back, he's going to have to get his technique back. Everything's got to fall into place for him. And he's got to figure out how to play with these guys again. So, it's not going to benefit the Nets losing him for a significant amount of time. They could become back-to-back clowns again as Ben Simmons, the lead clown, and Kyrie Irving, who doesn't shut the hell up. He's the analyst, a.k.a. announcer to his earth-is-flat type of world. I'm interested to see what the Nets are going to do without Kevin Durant. It's going to be tough
4: because we've seen Kyrie Irving throughout his career, though, too. Had a lot of trouble where he's the number one guy a lot of the time. He's played with LeBron and played well. He's played with Kevin Durant and played well. He was good with the Celtics, but not as good as he could have been when he was there. And when Kevin Durant was hurt...
3: In certain stretches, the last two years haven't been as good either. Do you think Kyle Kuzma is a guy that they can somehow land? Kyle Kuzma is a good player.
4: I mean, yeah, he's on a max contract, so they'd have to get a third team involved, probably. But I think that's a good fit for what the type of player hundred percent. They get Kyle Kuzma,
3: they're the best team in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, I I like
4: the fit for the for the Nets the way they play. Plus, he's a great bench player. He could be used in so many different roles. So, if the Nets could pull off a trade where they can be able to maneuver the money, yeah, it's something that you definitely could pursue. The depth has to be a little more consistent without Kevin Durant. Can they do that with Kyrie Irving? Can they do that in a more starting role? Because somebody, whether it's Seth Curry, whether it's Joe Harris, they're going to have to take on more minutes. Ben Simmons will play his usual role. I don't think they're going to try to change him any more than they have to. But if it doesn't work, yeah, he's going to have to start trying to get inside and score more because barely averaging double digit points a game right now. Well, because
3: Kevin Durant is hogging the ball, he's going to shoot a lot of shots. He's putting up 22, 23 shots a game. Kyrie Irving's putting up about 19, 20 shots a game Both guys are going to demand the ball and going to force the ball up. They're the offensive type of players, and moving forward, that's what they expect. But you add Kyle Kuzma right now with Kyrie Irvin and Ben Simmons, getting yourself a good player, I think could be an elite player in this league. On the Wizards, they're a crappy team. Everybody's going to say, well, they're playing good basketball. They're not a good team. Their best player right now is injured. Kyle Kuzma giving them the numbers that they are, he is trade big. They're just showing him off because they want to get as much back for Kyle Kuzma as they can. And they got Kyle Kuzma for nothing. Maybe you get a first-round draft pick for him and and a player. That's a good move for the Wizards. And you're talking about teams that could be playoff-contending teams. The Lakers are interested in them. They should have never gotten rid of them. The Nets would definitely be a team. The Knicks could be a team that could be interested in Kyle Kuzma. He would fit great with the Knicks especially inside. You get, you trade Julius Randle. You bring in Kyle Kuzma on a trade. Maybe you trade quickly and somebody else and you bring Kuzma in and then maybe you get Zach Levine. Then you have yeah. Kuzma, Levine, Jalen Brunson and R.J. Barrett. That's a pretty good four. And then you have Mitchell Robinson as your starting center. That could happen. I don't think the Knicks are going to do that, but it makes sense. There's a lot of interesting things when you look at the picture of some of these players and some of these teams are going to be looking for at the trade deadline, including the Knicks, who right now are playing great basketball they are the sixth seed in the Eastern Conference. They're moving up. They have a chance, slowly but surely before the All-Star break, to be a fourth seed. This is the best Knicks team we've seen in a very long time. Since the Carmelo Anthony, insanity. Stoudemire. This is the best team. The last time I could tell you that this Knicks team with this type of talent, I don't remember the last time the Knicks had a point guard this good. Oh yeah, not, not in my lifetime. Jalen Brunson has been fantastic. Not only been fun to watch, he's had nine 30-point games so far this season. They've played a little bit over 30 semi games. Nine of them has had over 30 points. Before he came to the Knicks, he had one 30-point game in the regular season and one 30-point game in the playoffs. With the Mavericks. All these experts that we had on our show tell me that Jalen Brunson is going to be a bust for the Knicks. They overpaid for him. What are they saying now? Not only did the Knicks underpay for a point guard, a star point guard in the league, who's only making $25 million a year for the next four years. The Knicks have control of him for three more years. Jalen Bronson is still a young player. He's 26. In the next three, four years, he'll be 29-30. If the Knicks want to bring him back, again, can, or they can move away from him and trade him. But right now, in the position that the Knicks are, they got themselves a very good player. And a player that is efficient. Even the volume scores the Knicks have had
4: over the years, they've lacked efficiency, which has hurt the team efficiency in their offense. And Jalen Brunson, while he could also score 30 points, facilitates the ball very well, doesn't take bad shots, i.a. Julius Randle. And you're looking at a case where Everyone else is being more efficient because of that. The Knicks, at one point this year, were one of the few teams that were top 10 in both offensive and defensive efficiency. Now, that number has dropped off a little defensively because of the injuries they've had, but still, the Knicks are really well-rounded right now. They have a lot of good combination of pieces, and it starts at the point guard position. Great bench, too. Great bench. It starts with Jalen Brunson, and it's allowing those other wings to strive in those roles, too. R.J. Barrett, he just came back from injury this week. He was a little down in the beginning of the season, but he was hot before his injury, too. And he's striving because he's not having to do as much. Quentin Grimes, same kind of thing. Quigley, same kind of thing. And you're seeing these wings start to develop because they're getting more playing time with Jalen Brunson.
3: They have a lot of depth, and this is one of the better benches in the NBA. You're talking about the Knicks bench, one of the top ten benches in all of basketball. And they're getting the points, and they have guys that are not even playing, like Fournier, who's barely playing because the Knicks are trying to move away from that contract. They have players that can play right now. So their bench is a quality bench. They're getting points off the bench. Derrick Rose is playing a little bit of time and he's getting a little bit of minutes. And I think Jalen Brunson's figuring himself out as a player. And it's great because he's doing it in New York. He wanted to come here. He wanted to play on the biggest stage in the world when it comes to basketball. And now he has the Knicks as a sixth seed in the Eastern Conference and have a chance to maybe be a top four seed in the NBA. The last time the Knicks were a four seed was a couple of years ago, playing good basketball, but then lose in the first round against Trey Young. Yeah, thanks to somebody, Julius Randle, not showing up. Yeah, well, that's another thing. And that had a lot to do with the short season, the COVID season. But this is a full season. The Knicks have a chance to really position themselves and put themselves in a good position. And they have a point guard that's going to be hard to defend. There's not many point guards in this league that can do what Jalen Brunson has done this year. He's been fantastic. He should be an all-star. The fact that he is not on that all-star lead ballot for a point guard. I know there's a lot of good point guards in the NBA, but... It's a popularity contest. There should be one player from each team to go to the All-Star game. And if that's true, Jalen Brunson should be one of those guys that go to the All-Star. He's the best player on the Knicks right now. Mm -hmm. It's not even close. He is sharing the ball. He's shooting the ball with efficiency. He's one of the best free-throw shooters in the NBA right now. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, Speedy, what do we got? We got an Islanders rumor, and then we got Crunch Time! Here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen, as you know, this it's a Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy PD. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern time only on 103.9. The LI News Radio Network brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Check out the Worldwide Sports Radio website by going to www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Check out every... Single story that we put out every single week. And check out all our shows, our live shows throughout the week, including the Sports Liveouts, which airs at 7 p.m. on Wednesdays and Thursdays at 9 p.m. Great guests, great fans, great content, funny, comedy, and great stuff. So keep listening to us every single week. And check out our new show, Game On, all the shows that we have throughout the network throughout the week. Before we get into crunch time, The New York Islanders this offseason could not add an offensive forward. Every single rumor that Lou Lamorella had his name dipped into fell apart at the last minute. They could not land a wingman, a center on this team that's going to help them offensively. And now, ladies and gentlemen, their position that they have to make a move at the trade deadline, either with one or two offensive talents. The Islanders sent scouts to the San Jose games the Sharks are right now sellers. Probably going to trade Carlson, who's one of the best defensemen in the NHL, offensively and defensively. And they have a player in Timo Meyer, who is a great young offensive player. He's 26 years old. The Islanders were interested in him last year. He wasn't available, he is available this year. The Islanders are going to try to make a move to get Timo Meyer. They need more than Timo Meyer to be competitive in the Eastern Conference. But this is a start. If they can somehow pull this off and get them, and they don't have to trade any one of their top young prospects, that would position the Islanders to then go after another offensive talent that can help them move forward going into the playoffs this year if they have a chance. I don't know if he's going to be available. I don't know if it's likely that he goes to the Islanders. But I do know Lou Lamorello needs to make a splash at the trade deadline. Yeah, Timo Meyer, I think,
4: is not going to be the only piece that the Islanders will look for. I think they definitely need quantity. I think two guys, Timo Meyer, will be the the all-star type player that they go after, and then I think they definitely need another faster skater of one of those Western Conference teams that could definitely help maybe the third line, can help out the second line, those older players that they have, if they're not involved in the trades too. But Timo Meyer is definitely one that I think definitely fits what the Islanders like to do, where he's the fast guy that can help score goals. He had 37 last year. 25 and, right yeah. now. And also can hit, though, which fits the physical style of defense the Islanders like to play, too. So I, I like the fit a lot. We'll have to see what the Sharks will be interested in, in trading for because they're going to ask for a King's Ransom because it's the best trade chip right now. I know they were trying to move Eric Carlson, but he's a lot older, and since his hot starts of the year
3: has kind of fallen off, so that's the piece that they're trying I, I, to I move. don't know how much they're going to get for him. I think they can get a defenseman, a first round draft pick, and and maybe another player. They could get a Pulak. They'll probably get a first round and Maybe an offensive player that they have, a Wallstrom. Yeah. That, that could make sense. Yeah, that that's could, a good deal. That say. could be a good deal for the Islanders, and that's where the Islanders need to look first. They're going to probably trade off their first-round draft pick this year to get him. That's the only way you're going to get a star of that magnitude, and then you're going right. to have to pay him because year from now, he's going to want big money, so you're going to have to pay him. So you're going to have to get rid of contracts in the offseason and decide what you're doing with this team because they got to remaster this team and find offensive players that can move forward and help this team win.
4: And definitely multiple, too. Timo Meyer. even though they do trade him they for him, they're going to need a lot more than that in order to make it work.
3: And now, ladies and gentlemen, speedy-peedy. It is time for Crunch Time. It's time for Crunch
2: Time. Got to see the
4: there, we'll start with the NFL
3: playoffs, buy or sell. Two out of three of the Bengals' top wide receivers will have 100 yards. I think one of them will. What the Ravens have done the last couple of weeks, their defense has played a lot better. Roquan Smith got a lot of money in the offseason. I think he's going to play a big part defensively. They will put pressure on Joe Burrow, where he's going to force the ball in certain areas. I think Higgins, out of the two wide receivers, they're going to try to take Jamar Chase out of the game and make Higgins beat them. So I think one of them, not two of them.
4: I'm going to buy that one because I think Jamar Chase is still somebody that Zach Taylor has done a good job moving around. Marlon Humphrey will take out one of them. I don't know if it'll be Chase the whole time, though, because he's very versatile. I think Tyler Boyd definitely does, and I think Chase will be able to move around and get 100 yards. I think there's going to be too much opportunities with the Ravens offense not barely being on the field. So I'm actually going to buy that. I one. got it on a sell, baby. All right. Buy or sell. Carlos Correa will be traded within the last three years of a six-year contract with the Twins.
3: I absolutely buy it. They didn't want to sign him going into the offseason, and they let him go to free agency. They let him sign with the Giants, then the Mets, and then all of a sudden, they sneak right in and they steal him. I cannot see them keeping him for three years. They never keep any of the players more than three or four years. Ask Johan Santana. It doesn't make sense. It's not going to happen. I'm buying it. The difference between
4: Johan Santana and Carlos Correa, Johan Santana ended up with Matt, Carlos Correa did not. But yeah, I'm gonna buy it too. I do I do think the twins. Who's to say of, he won't end up with the Mets? <laughs> I mean maybe. Who knows? But yeah, they're kind of in the an in-between state that's very difficult to trust. They're starting to become like the Angels, where they're having trouble developing free agent pitchers. They have a couple of good young pitchers, but just not enough to be able to compete in what is a very tough American league. Yeah, their division isn't that good, but they still have to win in the playoffs, which they've had trouble doing. They haven't won a playoff series in over 20 years, so that is a bad sign for them. I am going to buy that. All right, back to the NFL playoffs. Somebody other than Stefan Diggs will lead the Miami Buffalo game in receiving yards.
3: Sell it. It's not gonna happen. I like Gabe Davis. He he looked good last year, especially in the playoffs. This is the Stefan Diggs show. Him and Josh Allen are going to take this team as far as they're going to go. I like Gabe Davis, but it's not going to happen. I'm going to sell it. I'm going to buy that one. I actually think it is going to be Gabe Davis. I think this is the game that
4: suits him well because the Dolphins corners have had trouble with chunk plays, and Gabe Davis is a big play type guy. I think they need to get his confidence back up. He's had a couple rough weeks in a row. If the Bills are going to beat the Bengals or the Chiefs, they're going to have to get that number two receiver spot going, so I think this is a big game for Gabe Davis to get going. I will buy that one. right, buy or sell. The Islanders will trade for either Bo Horvat or Timo Meyer. Absolutely buy
3: it. They're going to get one or the other. Horvat will be a free agent in the offseason. He already said that he is not signing with Vancouver. He's been offered two contracts and he has denied them. So he will go to free agency. I wouldn't be surprised if the Islanders make a trade for a guy like Timo Meyer in this year's uh, trade deadline and then sign Bo Horvat in the offseason. They're going to get one. They could get both by the end of the season. So I'm going to buy it. Yeah, I'm going to buy it too. I think Timo Meyer seems very likely.
4: Centers are a lot harder to trade. So I think Vancouver is going to be asking for a lot more for Horvat, especially with the year he's had, just the value he brings. But I think Meyer with the Sharks now bad for like the fourth year in a row after they made all those big free agent splashes after making the Western Conference finals. It's inevitable they're going to start selling. So I am going to buy that one. All right, buy or sell. Both Tony Pollard. And Leonard Fournette will have 50 plus receiving yards in this game.
3: I'm going to sell it. I think Pollard will. I don't think Leonard Fournette will. Pollard's had a very good season, especially catching the ball in the backfield. Leonard Fournette looks like a shell of himself. He's not healthy he's never healthy. I don't think Tom Brady's going to be throwing him the ball. He's going to have to get everybody else involved, so I'm going to sell it. I'm going to buy it. This is one of my big X factors to counter
4: the blitzes. The Tampa Bay loves to blitz. Tom Bowles loves to blitz. Dallas' offensive line has played well this year, so again, I don't know if they're going to get consistent pressure, but Tampa's offensive line has not played well, so you know they're going to try to be able to get the ball out quickly. For, and that's the perfect guy to do that. They have all the injuries with the other running backs. I'm definitely going to buy that one.
3: All right, buy or sell. LeBron
4: James will be traded this season.
3: I don't think he'll be traded this season. I think next season in the season, he will be traded. I still think that he believes that the Lakers could still sneak into the playoffs. The Western Conference is really, really bad this year. The Eastern Conference, believe it or not, is better than the West. Who would have thought that? So I am going to sell it.
4: I'm going to sell it, but for a different reason. I just think because of this unknown with his son and the unknown of where he's going to sign and his power that he has, there's just a limited amount of teams that he's going to be expressing interest to. And are those teams going to be able to say, all right, I'm going to trade all these assets to get LeBron James. Is he the missing piece? I just don't know if there's a fit for that right now. There's a lot of rumors. Lost
3: season, I think. It yeah, will I
4: think there's a lot of rumors of him potentially going back to Cleveland. But again, that's really the only one that's gaining a lot of steam right now. And I don't think that's going to happen at the trade deadline. So I'm going to sell it. All right. One more. Daniel Jones will have more passing yards than. Her
3: cousins. Sell. It's not going to happen. Daniel Jones, who's he throwing to? Slayton? How about he's throwing to his mom? Because his mom was better off being on the field than half the wide receivers they have over there. There's nobody... I like Bellinger. I think he's a good player. They don't have any weapons. Maybe in the offseason they bring one in. Maybe they go after uh, somebody that could be a free agent from Arizona. You know who I've been talking about. I think he fits very well with the Giants. I don't know what they're willing to trade for him. He's not going to be expensive. But the Giants need weapons. So it's not going to be this year. Kirk Cousins is going to have a fun game. He's going to throw over 300 yards. Daniel Jones won't. So I'm going to sell it. Yeah, I'm going to sell it too. I think there's just too many weapons for the Vikings. KJ Osborne
4: has been a really How good wide receiver. Hawkinson, that's going to be the hardest matchup nightmare I think for the Giants middle of the field. Because Jefferson's the hardest matchup for the middle of the field. I'm talking about, which is the Giants' weakest part of their they defense. They have nobody that
3: can stop Justin no, Jefferson. No, I
4: know they have nobody to stop Jefferson. Nobody can stop Jefferson as it you is. You could triple team him. He's still going to catch the ball. <laughs> but yeah, I do think Daniel Jones is going to have to throw the ball a lot in this game because I do think the Vikings will be able to shut down the running game a little more in the first half. But I do think Cousins still ultimately. Honestly, I think more. the Giants
3: should be looking at a shutdown corner in this year's first round. Just like the Jets did with Sauce Garner, I think the Giants, being that they are going to have a late first round draft pick, they should be looking for a corner, a shutdown. You're not going to get a, a Sauce Garner in the 20s. No. But you could still get a good corner in the 20s. They need a shutdown corner. They need a guy that's going to shut down the best player on other teams. They don't have that. They're not easy to find. actually. No. You know, the Jets got lucky. No, I mean, the Giants and, haven't done well with a lot of first-round corners over the
4: years, so we'll see. But, uh, yeah, I am going to sell that. I do think it'll be close, but I do think Kirk Cousins does They're going—the
3: Giants are going to get killed this weekend. It'll be definitely under—they're going to get killed. They're not going to put enough points to compete with the Minnesota Vikings, and it's going to be very, very loud in Minnesota. I think the edge goes to Minnesota. Not that I don't think the Giants can pull it off. I just don't think they have enough weapons to do it. And I like Dable. and I think Dable's going to be a good coach in this league for many, many years. I think he's going to be with the Giants for 10, 12, 13 years. He's that good. I think he's going to figure it out. They're going to have a fun off season. If you're a Giant fan, you should be very excited. You have, I believe, a franchise quarterback. You have a franchise running back who's probably going to get three to four years extension. The Giants are going to be good. How good? Is free agency enough to get them over the hump? Back-to-back years in the playoffs. I don't know. It's going to be hard next year. Their schedule is going to get hard. Absolutely. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is our show. Thank you to Moneyline Mania, Wes and Mr. Chazzy Moto. Thank you for joining us. Thank you to our friend, ex-Charger Cardinal, Panther, and Ravens cornerback Antoine Kaysen for joining us. Thank you very much. Thank you to all the fans. Thank you to all the Long Islanders, New Yorkers, and everybody listening to us around the country on iHeartRadio and on 103.9. We really appreciate you. We'll be back next week with great content, new guests, and Moneyline Mania. Next week. Good night.